Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Dr. Yinka Akindeko. Dr. Yinka is a family physician based at Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, who has a special interest in dermatology and health equity. She came to the cafe to discuss the essential elements of a skincare routine and to share her tips on healthcare navigation and doctor-patient communication. Grab your warm drink and tune in for a great conversation. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, Dr. Yinka. Thank you so much for coming. Could you please introduce yourself? Thank you for having me. I am really excited. So I'm Dr. Yinka Kindeko. I am a family physician in Nova Scotia. And before that, I was a family physician in England. And I have been a doctor since 2004. Also, I own a skincare line called Dr. Yinka Skin because I'm passionate about all things skincare and, and black health and getting us to be represented and looked after. Wonderful. Can you tell us why did you choose this specialty? What has gotten you so interested in skincare? Okay, so skincare was a long story for me. I jokingly say I, I didn't have any interest in skincare starting out. So I chose to do family medicine. And at the end of my training, I was speaking to my trainer, who was an amazing doctor, and he wanted to talk me through about the options post-training. Now you're a family physician. You don't have to do all routine family medicine. You can do other things as well. So he spoke about lots of different things. And one of the things he spoke about was aesthetics, right? So Botox fillers, skincare. And that fascinated me because for me, it was a different conversation. When you're in the office as a family physician, you get back to back, sometimes on well patients, and it, it can be hard on the person. You can imagine if the first person is a 25-year-old that's dying from cancer, and the next one is an 80-year-old that's just broken their hip, and the third one, you know. So I wanted something that was not just about ill health, something that could be a different kind of conversation. So I went into training for aesthetics. And I really enjoyed it because not only was it a different conversation, I found many of my clients left feeling more confident. They had this worry. We talked about that worry. We fixed it. They felt good, right? And during my training, I found out that there were not lots of trainers talking about black skin, but oh, even when they did, it was just the wrong things they were talking about, like ridiculously wrong that you did have to go to medical school to know that this was ridiculous. And that's when I started thinking about, so if, so I could be saying, no, you're wrong, but then who's saying the right things, right? Who's going to say this is the right thing? So I decided to then put myself out there and I started doing the Facebook lives talking about black skin and skincare and how to look after skin from the black skin point of view. So that's how I got there. A long journey. <laughs> very interesting, but very important cause. Aren't skincare needs of Black people different from other races? In some ways, yes. In other ways, no. I'll talk about the important things about why they're different. For example, 
no one tells people with vaccine that they need sunscreen, right? Mm. We need sunscreen and we need sunscreen every day. It doesn't matter where you live. If it is in the winter months, you need sunscreen every day. So black people, that's usually the one they're surprised about and they've never used it. They don't know about it. So in that sense, it's the same needs, but they don't know that they have the same needs. But on the other hand, complaints we get from black people can be a bit different than what we get from white people. So for example, black skin heals very commonly differently. So black skin can heal by dark patches or by scars, like keloid scars, you know, kind of raised swollen scars. So that's different, right? We need to be thinking about that and trying to prevent it and trying to treat it and getting you to know that your skin will probably heal differently. So it can't be the same, it can be different, but we have our own needs that need to be addressed. You mentioned the scarring and the keloids. Some, how can we fight hyperpigmentation? Oh, yes. So, so two things with hyperpigmentation. One is don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. If, if there's a way you can avoid picking at spots or scratching yourself, if there are things you can do to protect yourself, don't hurt yourself. And the second thing, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. Sunscreen. Uh, once it's happened, then things like vitamin C and retinol and hydroquinone appropriately under medical guidance will help to treat the hyperpigmentation. And are there any myths and misconceptions that you think are important to dispel about skincare? So the first thing I've said is the sunscreen. That's always the biggest one for me. That's the one I get asked all the time or when I say people never, you know, it's always a shock. But also, there's a, a huge debate online about chemical versus physical sunscreen. Oh, where there's a discussion that chemical sunscreen's bad for you and physical's better for you. And then we find that the physical sunscreens tend to, some of them leave a cast, right? The white cast on the black skin. So because of that, many black people don't have sunscreen that looks good on them. And you've got into this debate that one kind of sunscreen is better than the other. So you use nothing. It's, the studies are not conclusive that chemicals worse or physicals better. There's nothing that's been shown to be damaging with either one. Whatever works for you, use it as can long you, as it protects you. Can you tell us what you mean by chemical and physical? So physical is like a barrier. So if you think like an umbrella, yeah, okay. in the shade. So some of the physical ones will act as a barrier, right? And then the chemical ones will bounce it off. Their job is to bounce off the rays of the sun. And so they work by different ways. But because the one I said is a barrier, so you need a shield. So many times that shield is a white screen. But if your skin is paler, it doesn't show. But if you're dark skin, it shows, yeah. right? And most of the time, it would say so on the bottle when you buy it. It would say it's a physical sunscreen or a chemical sunscreen. And I'm saying, whatever works for you and looks good on your skin, use it. There's no science to say one is better or more dangerous than the other. So that's a common one that I see. And it causes a lot of debate online where people will not use one or the other. But there's no science to say one's going to cause you damage or not, right? 
And if you're thinking about something like melanoma, which is not a common condition in black skin, but it does happen. And when it happens in black people, it tends to be picked up at a later stage. So it makes it more fatal in black people. And part of the way to protect ourselves is by sunscreen. Although we know that one of the common kinds of skin cancer, melanomas in black people, is those ones that happen on the palm and the feet ah. or under the nail. So they're not areas that are usually exposed to the sun. So which is where one of your questions is about how black people should look after themselves, right? So those are things they need to be looking out for. Spots on their hands, spots on their feet. Make sure you get those checked out by a doctor. Why is melanoma often discovered later? In, in black people. Because yeah. so when do you see a picture advertising melanoma? Have you ever seen a black person being talked about having melanoma? Yeah. yeah no. So you don't see yourself. You don't it doesn't bother you. It's nothing to do with you because you have, have melanin and it protects you from the sun. That is kind of a myth and a misconception that it protects you so you don't need to look out for it. So when you see a spot, many black people, when they see spots, they think it's just birthmarks or nothing dangerous because the first box is not melanoma, right? So they are likely to present late. Mm -hmm. And that's where the problem is, right? So by the time they present late, then it's kind of a bit more advanced, their Caucasian counterpart. What color is the spot that you should be looking for? So I would say any spot under your nail, right? Any brown or red spots on your palms and your feet, make sure you're checking them out. Turn them over and look. And if it's new, you're not sure, get it checked out by a doctor. Remember that Bob Marley, it was the kind of melanoma that killed Bob Marley, right? So get it checked out, get treatment. Are there any other myths and misconceptions that you'd like to dispel? Another one that I kind of hear from my white colleagues is something like hydroquinone and black skin. Black people know that if you use hydroquinone for skin bleaching and you use it long enough, it's going to destroy your skin. But that's not the case with white people, right? If they use it for dark patches, it doesn't really destroy their skin. And many of them can use it for years and years with no problem. But we tend to develop something called ochronosis, which is this blue blue black patch you see on around the cheeks or around the forehead and and ochronosis is permanent there is no treatment you cannot get rid of it so once it happens it's not reversible so we need to be getting the words out to our community to say be very careful with hydroquinone it's not something you can be using long term no matter what the skin specialist or whoever tells you three months four months you need to come off it uh, so that's another word that needs to be out there about skin bleaching. That's good to know. What would you say are the key components of a good skincare routine? So a good skincare routine will involve washing, cleaning your skin, right? And what you clean your skin with depends on your type of skin and what works for you. So you have to know your skin. It's very specific to you. So people will tell you, when I use this, I break out. Or when I use this product, it dries me out. So you kind of almost want to know if you need something mild and moisturizing. So something to wash your skin. And I would say an active. So I would call it something active. So something active like 
a vitamin C serum, for example. And vitamin C is good for healing. It helps your skin glow. It evens out your skin. Or something like a niacinamide, which does about the same thing. Only that some people's skin tend to prefer either a vitamin C or niacinamide. And also, you must use some protection, like you said, right? You mm. must use some protection. No matter what you do, don't bother with the rest if you're not using sunscreen. Don't bother. <laughs> it's a waste of money. Because the most important thing you put on your skin every day is sunscreen. If you can put only one thing on your skin, find a sunscreen that works for you and just stick with it. Another thing you can use, especially in the nighttime, is something like retinol. Retinol is an anti-aging. It helps with breakouts. It helps to even dark patches. So it's kind of a powerhouse product. Really good stuff. It really helps your skin to turn over. So you get new, fresh skin all the time. So that's another thing you can add to your skincare routine. For folks with oily skin, is oily skin bad? Is the goal to strip our face of all the oils or are some oils actually good? No, oily skin is not bad. Oily skin is your body's just self-moisturizing itself, right? So your, your job is not to strip the oil. Your job is to feel comfortable. Your job is to look good and feel good, right? So if you have oily skin and you feel confident, that's amazing. Who cares? You look good, you know. If it's something that bothers you, then there are ways you can just reduce it um, to make you feel comfortable because I want you to be out there feeling confident because your skin is the first thing people will see about you, right? So no one's going to see your liver or your heart first. They'll see your skin. And if you're uncomfortable in your skin, it comes across. So we don't want that. Want you to look good. Want you to feel good. Want you to come across confident. So if you have oily skin and it bothers you, then you can reduce it with the use of things like salicylic acid and glycolic acid. But you don't have to strip it and be dry and reverse it completely. And many times the skin even overproduces. When you strip too much of it, it overproduces. You just want enough to feel comfortable in your skin. Very nice. So I've heard a good cleanser, a vitamin C or niacinamide-based product, sunscreen, of course, and a retinol if needed. Okay. Are there also ingredients that we should avoid, like plague, if we ever see it written on the bottle? So in the past few years, there have been lots of talks about things like formaldehyde and parabens and talc. Talk was the one where Johnson and Johnson, where they had to settle. So those are things to look out for and avoid if you can. Lots of hair care products I see these days, they write no parabens. Some of them will say no formaldehyde. Some of them will say no talc. And no sulfates to too. Sulfates, yes. Yeah. Sulfates. Um, so those are things to look out for and avoid if you can. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about a study that has linked relaxers to uterine cancer. Can you tell us any more about this? And what are your thoughts? What steps can we take to ensure the things we're putting on our skin today we don't hear in a couple of years? Oh, no, that's bad. There's been rumors for years. I've heard like at least over 10 years. I've heard these rumors about uterine fibroids. They used to talk about why do black women have uterine fibroids? So there were things like, is it food? Could it be food? Could it be souls we put on our body, on our hair? And for a long time, they've talked about probably hair care products. And 
it was really fascinating and helpful actually to see that study that was done. So that's kind of almost the first confirmatory-ish study. But in medicine, we like things to be reproducible. So you do one study, then you have to do another one to confirm, and maybe a third one and the fourth one. So this is the first study. We're hoping that we'll get more studies that confirms it for us. But this was really fascinating. And it was that women that put hair relaxers more than four times a year were about three times more likely to have uterine cancers. So for now, this is what we've got until we get the other studies confirming it. I would say if you can go natural, go natural, right? If you can revert to natural hair, do it. The world's moved on so much that there are lovely ways to look after natural hair. Not like 20 years ago where it was really rare to see a black woman rocking her natural hair. And there are so many ways to rock your natural hair now. It's kind of becoming more and more fashionable and really acceptable for us to show our Afro hair. If you can do that, if you cannot, then cut down the, as many times as you can that, that you need to relax your hair. So if you can relax your hair once or twice a year instead of more than the four times that the study talked about, that would be helpful. That's like almost 50% less exposure to the chemicals. Interestingly, the study said it was the hair relaxing hair strengthening chemicals, they couldn't find any link with other things. So things like hair dyes or hair bleaches or other hair care products at the moment. So at least for now, we know this one thing. So why don't we cut back if we can, stop if we can, and try and look after ourselves? Sometimes black people tend to be misdiagnosed because doctors aren't trained on how to detect certain issues on black skin. How can we protect ourselves? It's difficult. It's just the history of medicine. You know, it is where we are now. I was listening to a talk yesterday and uh, this physician was talking about how as of last year when they did a study, 40% of medical students believed that black women felt pain differently, felt were less likely to feel pain. This is last year. This is not yeah. 20 years ago. This is not, you know, 40 years ago. Um, so it's still there. The misconceptions, the myths, the lack of knowledge is still there. But we're getting better. We're not where we were 20 years ago. Yeah. We're getting better. So be patient with us. We're working in-house to make you better. And we will continue to get better. From um, the patient point of view, if you're worried, say what you're worried about. Sometimes as patients, you're worried to sound ridiculous, right? To say what, say it. It might be that the doctor's like, oh, that's what you're worried about. There is an easy way to, to reassure you. We can do this one test and it reassures you. Or this is the way I know you don't have that thing. Or why don't we check and rule that out, right? Say what you're worried about. So that's one way to kind of make sure your needs are getting addressed. I like that. Say what you're worried about. In your experience, are there questions you wish patients would ask, but you don't often hear them ask? When I was training to be a family physician, there were words that I was taught to get out of the patient that I think it would be nice if the patients knew about. So 
is called ICE. It's an acronym called ICE, I-C-E, Ideas, Concerns, Expectations. So when the patient comes, it will be a good idea if they know what their ideas are, what their concerns are, and what their expectations are about this particular meeting. So they come with a focus, not all over the place, right? Remember, many of those consultations are 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Long family physician consultations are 15 minutes. Like that, 15 minutes is luxury, right? If you come with my toe hurts, my eyebrow hurts, my this hurt, my, you almost don't get the best out of that consultation. But if you have one problem and you're able to say, this is the problem, the knee hurts, this is the knee that hurts, and you're there, you've told the doctor that, and you're able to say your concern. My concern is that this knee pain is osteoarthritis because my mother, my father, my grand uncle all had arthritis. I want that this is arthritis. And the doctors, you know, you're still there and you're explaining. And maybe doctors not really get me. And you say, my expectation is that you would give me an investigation that would tell me if this is arthritis or not. So this is the issue. This is my concern. My expectation is this. And many times it helps to focus the mind. So he might say, you're a 16-year-old woman. This pain started last night. I do not think this is arthritis. Why don't you come back in so-so time and we'll check it again? Or actually, you're a 72-year-old man who's worked hard all your life. You're probably right. Why don't we get an x-ray, right? But if you have your ideas, concerns, expectations, explain to the doctor. It helps to focus the consultation and helps both of you to get the best out of your time together. Can you share an example where you saw a patient advocate for themselves and it made a difference in their care? So I have had um, moving to Nova Scotia where there are not a lot of black doctors. So sometimes there's a distrust between black patients and doctors. And many times being a black doctor, sometimes you can almost see from both sides, right? You can say, oh, I'm sorry the doctor did not explain to you properly, but this doctor did all the right things they needed to do. And sometimes questions like, oh, because you're a black doctor and you told me the doctor did everything. Now I'm okay with my doctor. And I get that a lot. But I had a patient who, I'm not sure, I think her old doctor retired. And then she transferred her care to me. And her first complaint was that she wanted the hysterectomy. She wanted the hysterectomy. She'd asked for a hysterectomy. But the doctors thought she was too young to have a hysterectomy. But for reasons which she laid out really clearly to me, she wanted a hysterectomy. And I thought, yeah, I think I agree with you. You've, you've thought about it for many years. You've been asking for years. So what I did was I wrote a letter to a gynecologist, right? Almost in her own words, in my patient's own words. This patient has seen so many gynecologists. She wants this. These are the reasons. And I think I agree with her that these are the reasons that I think they are valid reasons she understands. And um, she's had a hysterectomy this year. And that she found that so, you know, validating. She'd waited years for this, but most people said, no, she couldn't have it because of this, because of that reason. And I was quite proud of her for, you know, kept pushing. She never gave up. She was frustrated. She was unhappy. She'd seen many doctors, 
But she never gave up. And, you know, she was able to state clearly why she wanted it. And um, thankfully, she got what she wanted and she's, she's all the ha- more happier for it. What were your top tips for navigating the system and not falling through the cracks? So my number one tip, my number one tip is use your screening. Use your screening. In the UK, there are studies to say black people don't go for screening. For PAPs, the PAPs means we're not going as, as often as we should go for mammograms, for fit tests. Fit test is the poop test, the smear poop test that goes off to be tested for bowel cancer, for um, all kinds all kind of screening. We're not taking that up. If you're not taking up your screening test and you go and see a doctor and you're upset that they're not looking after this tiny thing, the doctor's going to be thinking, but you don't love yourselves. If you loved yourself, you would have had your paps. You haven't had your paps for 20 years. Now you're upset with me. I'm not checking this dandruff on your scalp. But this was more important than that one. So if you go, I want all of us to go for a screening test. If you hear my voice and you haven't gone for your pap or you haven't done your fit and uh, poop test or you know you need a colonoscopy, you need to book for that. Do your screening test. Many places in the UK, in Canada, many times today, even need to go through a family physician to get those screening tests. You can just, it's direct booking for you. So you have to go for your screening test. We're so lucky we live in a time where you can have a blood pressure machine at home or you can walk into a drugstore and get your blood pressure checked. I'm saying you have to look after yourself first. You're the most important, you're 100% of yourself. I might have a thousand or two thousand patients that I'm looking after, right? I'm not thinking about each individual one, but you are a hundred percent of yourself. So you have to look after yourself. Then if you find you've gone to your doctor, you have a particular concern, you've said about ideas, concerns, expectations, it's not really hitting the spot. Try and get a second opinion. A second opinion might be the uncomfortable walking clinic or the ER, if possible, but do it. I never want to hear, I don't have time. If you don't have time for yourself, how can someone else have time for you? You have to love yourself more than anyone can ever love you. So there's no, I don't have time to go to the walking clinic. You have time. There is no work that is more important than you. You have to put your mask on first before you put a mask on to, on someone else, right? As a woman, especially black women, notorious for putting a mask on everyone, even the random stranger on the street. Come down and take a mask, but you can't breathe, right? You cannot breathe when you put a mask on random people. You have to look after yourself first. You have to. So use the screening services. Use your ideas, concerns, expectations. Get your second opinion. Look after yourself. Exercise. Eat healthy. Don't be lonely. Get your shots, right? Get your flu shots. Get your COVID shots. Get your tetanus shots, right? The simple things we can do for ourselves, almost outside speaking to a doctor. Love that. Very nicely said. What are your recommendations for how people can improve communication with their provider? Is that ICE as well? Yes, I would say ICE. 
And so, you know, when I said I, I kind of straddle both sides, right? How do they say, what's the thing about honey will go a long way, right? I know what you mean. Something about you win more flies with honey than with yeah. milk or something. Yes, yeah. that, that is it. Sometimes we're angry already because of our interactions with other doctors. Now, this is not about black people. This is not about white people. I'm talking humans now, right? And we bring it into the room. We bring it into any room we go to. We bring it into a store. It might even be a store. It might be a friendship. It might be a, a relationship. You bring that. So everyone is defensive. I'm angry. You're angry. No one's going to get. No, this will never go well. And I find many times, because I'm human, right? So as a doctor, I'm human. I'm at home. I might have a teenage son, which I do, that has a lot of opinions, right? So I'm dealing with teenagehood or uh, a doctor's got a small baby at home that's got a virus, but she's at work with you. So the whole time she's thinking, I'm a bad mom because I've left my child at home and I'm looking after other people's children. And these are true feelings. I'm telling you that they're true feelings. The mom guilt's going on or I've had a fight with my husband or my wife today or I can't pay my rent. All of these feelings are in the room. You're feeling your feelings. The other human, the doctor, who is a human as well, is feeling those feelings. So sometimes not coming in angry and defensive, sometimes it goes a long way, right? It's just having that human chat because we are all, we're human. Having that chat with them and say, you know, ideas, concerns, expectations, and, you know, thanking them when they do a good job. It really goes a long way. It really goes a long way. Being human and being kind to each other. We still, as we look after ourselves, we have to look after our healthcare providers because they're getting burnt out. We're losing them. We're losing them to being burnt out. We're losing them to early retirement. And sadly, we're losing them to suicide as well. We have the highest suicide rates of any profession. Doctors have the highest suicide rates of all professions. Why is that? It's a hard job. You see 30 patients a day. The first one is a 25-year-old with cancer. The second one is, like for centuries, an 80-year-old that's broken their hip. The third one is mental health. The fourth one is infertility. The fifth one, and you see back to back to back to back, yeah? The brain does not catch a break. And you do that every day. And you do that for years. On top of your own life issues as well, right? On top, you still have to pay your rent. You still have to... Your tires still go flat. You still, you know, and it's a hard job. And many times the system heavily punishes doctors for getting it wrong, for getting that they're humans as well. So if something goes wrong, the patient's angry, puts in a complaint, they take, they suspend the doctor. That's the doctor's source of livelihood. Not many doctors can be part-time electricians and part-time doctors. So they can't feed their family for the next whatever while and that's a stress on the mind so that's why we have to be kind to them as we're kind to ourselves as well so that's me speaking from the other side of the table <laughs> nicely put nicely put is there anything else you'd like to highlight anything else i didn't ask did you think is important from our conversation right now black health is a very important topic so i thank you for doing this my passion like you said is skincare and it's also black health. I want us to live long and healthy. The studies are that 
we don't live long, maybe not as long. We do live long, especially black women are good at not smoking, not drinking too much, keeping a social circle. So those are great things. We must never give up on them. I said to my patient, what I want you to do on Saturday morning, get five or six women, go for a walk and just talk and, you know, just get it out there. So that's, that's exercise, that's fresh air, that's being in a group. And those are the three top things that keep you living longer before we start talking about the flu shots, before we start talking about screening. Those are easy things we can do. Get in a group, go for a walk outdoors if you can. Carry on doing this amazing work, all of you out there. Keep being healthy. I'm rooting for you. Keep rooting for us. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Yinka. If people wanted to learn more about your work, is there somewhere they should go? I'm on social media. You can always message me, even if it doesn't look like I've posted a lot, which I haven't posted a lot recently because it's been so busy. So I haven't been on social media as much. But I'm Dr. Yinka Skin on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. So you can message me there if you have questions. If you want me to talk at your events, because that's something I'm looking to do as well, just to get the education out there, just to get us to be healthy and access healthcare right way. So just message me, Dr. Yinka Skin. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe today, Dr. Yinka. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Some key takeaways from Dr. Yinka were the importance of sunscreen. In fact, it was mentioned so many times that we may as well have named this episode sunscreen. Components of a good skincare routine include a cleanser, an ancinamide, or a vitamin C, a retinol if needed, and of course, sunscreen. She shared with us the warning signs for melanoma. She encouraged us to say exactly what it is we're concerned about and ideas, concerns, and expectations. As usual, if you'd like to learn more about The Good Health Cafe, please check out our website, www.thegoodhealthcafe.com. Follow us on social media and sign up for our mailing list. Also, be sure to check out Dr. Yinka's social media pages as well. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye.